Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. To experience racism and then to see one's child also at the receiving end of racism. And I don't think systems understand, I don't think school understand the impact that uh, children experiencing racism can have on parents. So I would say start with yourself. You need to have an honest conversation around where your wound might be, what you might need still to process about your history, what you might need to learn about, and some of the things that you may want to leave behind as well, right? So number one, start with yourself. Number two, fundamentally, before we even think about the nitty gritty of white supremacy and whiteness, we need to be thinking about the environment that we're creating for our children. You are listening to the The Dope Dope Black Moms podcast. I am welcoming the amazing Ghislaine (laughs) Keen. Sorry. You got it right. You are doing well. (laughs) (laughs) Ghislaine Kinuani. Yes. Amazing. To the podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome. Welcome to me. Welcome to you. Welcome (laughs) to us. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, Thank you for having me. So grateful. So... UK French-based psychologist of Congolese descent, feminist, therapist, writer of the blog Race Reflections, and now author. Thank you. Amazing, amazing. For Living While Black, The Essential Guide to Overcoming Racial Trauma. This book, this book, I mean, it aims to do so much for black readers um, and for non-black readers. You're exploring so much different aspects of trauma for black people living in the Western world. Um, I found it to help set boundaries and to protect our children, which I'm obviously massive, massive advocate for. Um, Talking through how to handle different conversations, race-based conversations, understanding complexities of black love. And also I think for non-black readers, what you're aiming to do is amazing. It's a big book. It's a big book. So many layers. I actually had to take a little break whilst reading it. Have you found that? Uh, what what the feedback is that I guess it depends where you're starting from. Uh, it's yeah. not unusual for people to take a break, do some activity, text talk of the material that they are being presented with, because you're right, it is a lot of material. It's and a lot. I I just to make sure I was also taking it all in, just to have a minute with it all, just let it sit and land properly, to make sure I was just really understanding it. Yeah, this is certainly the way that I recommend people to engage with it. Right. I know some people have read it from start to finish in a weekend or day. I don't recommend that. (laughs) (laughs) Some people have been able to do it. I don't know how. Uh, My recommendation is to read one chapter do the activity, do the exercises, make sure that you are okay, make sure that you understand what you've just read and then proceed. I mean, white supremacy has been around for how many years, how many centuries, right? 
you don't need to rush it. <laughs> Take your time with the book. We've got time. We've got time. I think that's it. Just taking it section by section. And sometimes I had to reread things, think about how that made me feel. Um, I'm dyslexic. We were saying this off air. I'm dyslexic. So we need to take a moment. And what it, what it did for me is just gave me the language to help process some of the ish that you've been doing, just to even get started with some of the layers that are all around us. Some of it conscious, subconscious, something, just, just the whole weight of everything. It helped me to, to get the language that I've been looking for to help process. So I thank you for this. Um, and I think it's one of those books that you can just keep on going back to um, reflecting on. And I, I assume it will, different bits will land with you at different parts of your life. That was, that was the expectation. And I'm glad that it is also one of the most recurrent feedback that people say it's a um, return to book. That's it, it. It's, it's, it's a guide that I can come back to when I'm feeling something's going on in my life. I can go back to the book to kind of boost myself, remind myself of what I need to do to look after myself. And I love that. I love that it's going to be a companion for a number of years for people. I think it's beautiful. I it is. It's, it's a life companion. Absolutely. It just it helps to clarify. And that in itself is liberating, isn't it? Having a a step-by-step -step guide you can go to, groundbreaking. So how did this book come to be? How did you find yourself taking on and writing a book like this? Uh, it was a mixture of different things. Uh, I guess you've read about my own lived experience as a black woman, as a French woman, as a black French woman, as black French woman in the UK. All of this stuff informed my politics. And when I got into the mental health field, in particular, when I got into psychology, I was really disappointed um, that there was no, there was no appetite. Uh, sometimes there was no curiosity to understand the impact of white supremacy on the psyche, right? On black minds and on black bodies. That was really a key driver. Oftentimes people like myself who attempt to get systems, mental health systems, particularly in academia, to think about racism can be met with hostility, can be met with a lot of pushback, right? Because institution by and large, because practitioners by and large do not want to confront racism, including their own racism. Uh, and so it's a difficult journey. Uh, and so I'd say it's, it's a combination of my work as a clinician, a combination of my lived experience as a black woman, but also my, my lived experience um, in academia that have really pushed me to want to do something that would be really uh, impactful for people that I know need it the most. And it's my, it's my first book. And I'm so grateful that for my first book, I got to do something for the people. I just, I just you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm grateful to have been given this opportunity. Absolutely. And, and with the opportunity, did you find it cathartic, therapeutic for yourself? Or was it a bit of everything extremely painful you know was I, it think, right. I think it was a combination of everything I wouldn't do something that uh, obviously doesn't add to my own to my own healing to my own understanding to my own growth so of course I'm in the picture right as I say in the book I wrote myself in but more than that I wanted to leave something that I know as a clinician would be helpful for people some of the tools that I use 
um, with with my client, with my patients, and some of the stuff that we have kind of finessed together, where you know we set up some experiment, we try things out, and then they come and they give me the feedback, and they say that is really helpful. That is what has helped me the most, and all of that made it into the book. So they're not tools that I haven't used practice, that I haven't seen being helpful for people. They're tools that I use every day. So I'm, I'm quite confident that people will find them helpful. I think, I think so. And even just seeing, I think what's great about the book is often we're made to believe that our pain, our trauma, our experiences um, are unique. They don't warrant um, any thought, any weight, no one acknowledges it, no one cares, no one believes. Um, and I think seeing the book as a, as a whole, that challenges that thinking, that narrative, and in itself, that's liberating just to see, ah, you're not on your own, you know, you're not alone, other people are feeling this, thinking this. Um, helps in mental clarity, like you're not, th this is a real thing that, that, deserves acknowledgement it deserves way it deserves an amazing comprehensive book like this just to 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 help try and understand um what it is we're we're living with i think this is really really important the point that you've made around clarity yeah. because this is what racism does right this is what white supremacy does it gaslights us at collective level it fogs the mind and so it's important to have the tool, the concept, the idea, the language to be able to speak and to maintain our mental clarity so that we can keep focus on the things that we need to be focused on or the things that we want to focus on rather than spend so much time trying to uh, ascertain whether we're right or we're wrong. Is that really racist? Was that treated differently? Did that really happen? Did I make things up? Am I oversensitive? Am I overreacting? All this kind of stuff. Can you imagine if we didn't have to think about that? If we could just accept that it is a thing, it happened, it's painful. Let me look after myself. Let me be kind to myself. Let me connect to my ancestors. Let me nurture my body. Let me do something for me to be kind and then move on with what we need to do rather than spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure out what is real and what is not real. Oh, it makes you question everything, your very being, you're questioning everything. And then you look at everything and, and that is exhausting. That's exhausting whilst also having to function in this world, also having to do the nursery pickup and have your kids and everything you're trying to do. Um, it has such a, a ripple effect. With uh, Dope Black Mums, we have the WhatsApp groups, we have the Facebook group, um, dedicated safe spaces, private groups, just sometimes, you know, I go for weeks not speaking in them, um, but just so grateful to know that they're there. How important do you think it is that we find these safe spaces where we can speak and be ourselves and, and, and be ourselves wholeheartedly? Yeah, absolutely. It matters, it matters for the soul. It's so important for our, you know, spiritual health and, and growth. And this is what white supremacy does. It deprives us from nurture to the soul. And what I wanted to do with the, with the book is to give tools for people to feed their soul as well in the midst of white supremacy. We can do that. We have to be effortful. We have to be deliberate, no doubt. But we can do it.
Yeah, I think that that is just the greatest gift. And I, and I love, um, obviously coming from the Dirt Rod Monster platform, I, I love the parts where you're talking about how we can protect our children from racism. And I just wanted to understand thoughts on um, how we begin to do that. So from different ages to different stages to creating safe spaces for our children to preemptive work, where, where does that journey begin for, for children, how we protect our children yeah. Okay. So there's lots of tips. I'm, I'm not going to rehearse everything that is in the book, but there's lots of tips to uh, consider in the book. One thing that I would say, your question is an important one. When do we start? That's and it. As, as parents, I always say we start with ourselves. Yes. Right. So we start with our own experience. We start with our own fears. We start with our own trauma and we try to address that so that it doesn't get too much in the way of the kind of parenting that we want to do. It's extremely painful to have experienced racism, to experience racism, and then to see one's child also at the receiving end of racism. And I don't think systems understand, I don't think school understand the impact that uh, children experiencing racism can have on parents. So I would say start with yourself. You need to have an honest conversation around where your wound might be, what you might need still to process about your history, what you might need to learn about, and some of the things that you may want to leave behind as well, right? So number one, start with yourself. Number two, fundamentally, before we even think about the nitty gritty of white supremacy and whiteness, we need to be thinking about the environment that we are creating for our children. Is it a safe environment? That is question number one. Is the child feeling loved, nurtured? Um, how soothing is your relationship to the child? How trusting is your relationship to the child? Because all that is going to give us the basis of what we call a secure attachment, right? And that is the foundation for a template in later relationship, but also something that we can return to when life is rough, when we experience incomprehensible um, things in our life, when we experience racism. So if we have that fundamental um, kind of people call it safe base uh, within psychology established, we already, um, put a level of protection, right? It's, it acts as a buffer, as a, pre a protective mechanism when it comes to racism. So that's the second thing. Think about how can I improve the quality of my relationship to ensure that my child feels soothed, my child feels safe, my child feels seen, held, understood, all that fundamental stuff that we need to all, including myself, right? We need to all aim to do better at. And then finally, the final tip would be take control, take the initiative. It is your house, it is your child, it is your family. So ask yourself, what kind of family do you want, right? What kind of mother, what kind of parenting do you want to do? How is racism going to get in the way of what you want to do. And so then you can start to be thinking about how am I going to counteract that? If I think I want to, um, I want to 
for example, have a house where my child feels seen and um, that is Afrocentric, for example. You know that racism is going to get in the way because when they go outside in the wider world and when they go to school, they might not necessarily see themselves represented in the books that they pick up, in the literature that they're presented with, in the history. But how much time do they spend at home? What can you do at home to ensure that you counteract that, that at least when they come home, they can see, uh, you know, books with, with people who look like them, that they are exposed to um, Black history, that they understand the worth, the value, the beauty in Blackness. So that would be an example. If you think that your child is going to go, um, is going to go out in the world and be gaslighted and be dismissed in their experience, and you think, actually, that's not the kind of learning that I want for my child, then you need to be thinking, how am I going to validate that, right, rather than reproduce what society does at large a lot of the time as parents and you know we get it wrong a lot of the time myself included right a lot of the time the child comes and they would say so and so did this to me and they're upset and we try to minimize and say ah it wasn't so bad don't worry it's nothing to do with your race or what have you we do things like that because we're trying to soothe but essentially what we are reproducing is gaslighting at an early age right we sing to the child that whatever they experience Experiencing, they're wrong. They can't trust themselves to know what is happening to them. So we really need to be conscious of validating our children's experience actively, deliberately, if we think that um, it's important to us as, as parents that our children trust themselves. And I would suggest that is one of the key, one of the key skills for a black parent to instill in their child is that they can trust their mind and they can trust their body. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I think that's, that's so, so, so important from an early age to be able to be connected to your gut and trust your voice. And I've, I've spoken about this a lot. So when you get those outside voices, um, you've got the grandparents, you've got the, the mother-in-laws and everyone saying to your child, oh, you must hug this you must kiss this. You mu and, and I was like, if a child doesn't want to interact with somebody, you have to listen to them and understand why. And I, and I always think that's the kind of the, those early steps of really being able to trust your gut and your parents back you up and that, and that be seen. And that, that's massively important. I think you can, it's so easy to struggle with mental clarity you know there's there's so much against us that we need everything we can we need all these tools in our arsenal as young as we can to try and combat this I think everything you're saying to try and soothe to try and tell the child that they've been seen that they're loved these are things these are universal truths goods foods that we all need we all need to hear these things and I think sometimes it's hard as parents in the moment to remember that because it's so easy to want to fix, isn't it? Or so easy that disease to please or to make it nice or make it pretty for your child or make it easy and just try and fix and you maybe miss, you know, some of that learning there, which is what we need to try and combat all these things that, that you're discussing. Yeah, 
absolutely, absolutely. The only thing that I would add is that we're going to get it wrong some of the time. Yeah. Because even, you know, 50% of the time, and it's okay. It's also about, in the same way that we want to instill trust in our children, it's also important that we trust ourselves as parents, right? And, and, and so we have to accept that we're going to do it right, that we're going to do it wrong, and sometimes we are going to do it right. But nonetheless, I guess, the learning um, is in the uh, back to the focus, right? You get it wrong sometimes, you get up the next day, you do better, you know? That's what being a human being is. You, re you reflect, you take stock, you realize that perhaps you could have been more attentive, perhaps you could have been more validating, then you try again. So I don't want for people to kind of feel guilty because, oh, I didn't do that, or I got it wrong, so I've messed up my child, you know, my child is not 10, it's done, it's over. <laughs> No, right? We can repair as at any point. We can have an impact in, in terms of our, our child or our children's relationship with themselves at any point. It's never too late to start. Obviously, the earlier, the better, but it's never too late to start. I think that's such an important message for ourselves to know that there is no right or wrong. There's no rule book. There's no perfect way to parent. We are all going to get it wrong, but it's the fact that we are obviously in the game and trying. Really like what you said about taking control and what do you want for your family? What do you want for your children? I think that's also really important. And I think it's important if you say you're gonna do something to a child to also back that up as well. Cause it's so easy to go in there with great intentions and I'm gonna do this, this and this. And you, and you say these things to kids and sometimes you might say it a little bit flippantly and then also sometimes um, not follow up. But I yeah. think, the, the main thing is just to constantly check yourself. And again, that's also difficult. That's a, that, that takes a bit of courage, doesn't it, to do that and then actually implement these things as you're going. And again, giving yourself the space to also make those mistakes. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I absolutely agree. It is, it is courageous. I, I, yeah, thank you for recognizing that. It takes courage to actually see one's flaws um, and to say, you know what, I need to do better. Because it feels to... ugly, doesn't it? We're not, we're not taught to, to be okay with that. It's, it's uncomfortable yeah. to sit there and, and think these things about yourself and also not want to go and fix it just like you will for your children. Sometimes those lessons that we're learning, um, we need to learn them. There's no other way to learn it, but you kind of want to make it pretty for them, just as you do for yourself. That that disease to please, which which happens often as parents and sometimes traditionally as women as well. Yeah, you're right. And I was just thinking how hard it is for those of us who have been quite critical or judgmental of our own mothers and parents. And then you realize, shit, I'm not that better that much better than them i'm doing the same thing uh, and so it's it's hard because you i guess it teach you it teaches you 
humility. Um, it's a tough job to raise a child, there's absolutely no doubt. Um, and it's a tough job to raise a child within white supremacy when your child is black. Um, so it's important that we learn self-compassion as well for ourselves and we treat ourselves kindly because you're yeah. absolutely right. It takes courage because it is difficult because sometimes yeah. it's distressing to confront our own limitation. But you have to be kind. I think most of us are trying the best we, the, the best we can and we are willing to, to learn and to do better. That's what we want to stay with. Totally. And I love how you say a lot of this work obviously starts at home. We can think about curating our bookshelves, the music we're listening to, the art we have in our house, the information, the TV that we're taking in. Do you have any advice um, as your children get older into tweens and teens? Anything else that we can do to reinforce that empathy, compassion, the worthiness? I would say the most important thing is to is maybe the two um, two important things to do would be number one to constantly work on our children's self esteem. You know that it's going to be a cell um, assaulted, uh, left, right, and center um, in in the in the um, in the um, education system. And so it's such a it, it is the right word. Yeah. It it is it is assault, isn't it? And we have to work on those layers of, of how to armor them. Uh, 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 absolutely. Um, there is even some, I think there's some studies that show that uh, children, black children in this country's self sense of um, self and, and self-esteem is comparable with white children when they're quite small, more or less. And then when they get to their teen years, then you start to see the gap, right? So as they start to internalize the messages in society, the bias, the prejudice from people around them, including from teachers, then they start to tap themselves. And we know that self-esteem is, first of all, is a risk factor when it comes to racial trauma, but it's also uh, associated with lower educational achievement. So then it becomes a vicious cycle. Uh, of course, I'm not saying that self-esteem is everything. So if your child has high self-esteem, I think that's the work done. But I do think it's some something important that we need to think constantly to build our children, right? So if they're going to the world and they are devalued, they come home, we build them up again. So they get, <laughs> they get ready, if you know what I mean, right? So what we don't want is for the house environment to be devaluing and then they go out and they face also devaluation. Um, that is, you know, that is a, a, a recipe for psychological distress. And you know that um, mental health distress in black, um, young black people is quite high. Um, you know, that is the reality. Yeah, and, and I love that you say they come back home, they're in a safe space, it's loving, it's loving, it's nurturing. You're seeing all this positive messaging around you and we're building, 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 building. What advice, what can we do for ourselves as mothers? So we're, we're building, 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 but how do we keep ourselves robust from all these messages. So we're getting messages left, right and center, maybe in where we're dating, in the media, in our workplace, and now coming through our children as well. Any advice on how we can protect ourselves? Well, the same, the same stuff to some degree that is going to help you thrive. You know, there is a self-care plan in, uh, in living while black. Anything that helps you thrive, that nourishes your body, your soul, your mind is going to be good for you as a parent, if there's no, even though it might not be directly relevant 
to a parenting. Whatever helps you feel good is going to be good for your parenting. So that is number one. Number two, I would say some of what you do um, at uh, the Black Mom, right? Connect, connect, connect to other mothers, uh, share experience, share the load. As I say, make sure that you get some support for the task, the heavy task that you engaged in um, and, and nurture your relationship, right? Your relationship, not only with your child, your relationship with your partner, if you have a partner, with your siblings, if you have sibling, with your friend, with your community, uh, with your elders, with your ancestors, wherever you can nourish those, uh, those relationships, do that because this is what is going to carry you as well yeah totally i mean it's vital isn't it it's vital for our our protection our mental clarity our sanity to be able to stay present and grounded in this world that we're living in today so you also touched on the complexities of of black love and obviously this is something that is affects us all and you know we're all passionate Anything that you'd like to say on, I don't know, anybody listening that might be struggling in their own relationships with, um, I don't know, doubts and fears that are going through their head, anything, a big, big question, but anything you'd like to say to anyone listening? It is a big question. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm going to attempt to, to say something helpful. The first thing is that we often take into our adult relationship, right? What we've learned from our earlier relationship. So we're back to attachment and we're back to early, early history. So it's for you to think about what you might have been carrying from the past and bring into a broad, sorry, into the present. So think about um, some of the way that you relate, the patterns of, for example, how close you get to people, how distant you are with people, how comfortable you are with, uh, with intimacy, how uncomfortable you are with intimacy, how trusting you are in relationship, how distressful you are in relationship. There's no right way or wrong way to be, but I guess it's important to understand how, what our default is, because how, how, what our default is, is going to obviously interact with someone else's default and what they also might have brought from their early experiences, from their own attachment style, um, from, from how they do intimacy, how they do closeness, how they do relationship more generally. And to think about that, a lot of the time we end up with people that we are misaligned with, right? Uh, it doesn't mean that one of us are bad people. It just means that we clash. Because if one person is really, really needy in relationship, right? And I use the word needy as compassionately as, as you can think about it. So people will need a lot of reassurance. People will need a lot of closeness to feel love. And then they get into relationship with people who are more distant and avoidant, right? People who want to feel um, some distance to feel safe. People who don't want to be too close to people because maybe it's painful, maybe it's scary. Then you can start to understand what kind of challenge this particular configuration might experience in their relationship. Uh, that doesn't mean to say that we can't change. When we understand our baseline, and then when we understand the baseline or the default of the other person, then we can move somewhat. I'm 
don't believe that we need to change necessarily how we are from, you know, to go from one extreme to the next or one polarity to the, to the other, from white to black. But I do think that if we end up with people that are the opposite of who we are, Obviously, for that relationship to work, there's going to need a bit more adjustment on both sides, right? So that you can meet somewhere in the middle. So I guess understanding, so back to self-insight, but also compassionately thinking about what that other person might also have learned about, um, about the world and about how to operate in relationships. Yeah, and, and listening to you say all that, imagine going into these relationships and then having a child and all that brings up and you've got all your values clashing, all your childhood trauma, your stories, your patterns clashing. And um, again, it takes courage to take a step back and just check yourself, check the messaging, check what you are uh, modeling to your child, how you deal with conflict, how you deal with relationships, how you handle um, decision-making, you know, all, all of that they are, they are taking in and all of that is reflected in your relationship. And it, um, it's actually, I think we enter these relationships so flippantly, you know, it'd be nice to be able to take a step and really think before we go into this and especially before you go into having kids of just the impact it all has. Like it is, it's, it's, it has the power to really shape shape life doesn't it shape your experience shape your frame of reference and um sometimes i think we we enter into these things so so flippantly not giving it the weight that it deserves that's true um uh, but at the same time i guess this is how society does relationship right yes this is how society does romantic relationship um so i'm thinking that what of people will have got into a relationship without necessarily thinking about a compa compatibility and indeed people's compatibility might change over time mm. so what you want as a 20 or 25 year old might not be some what you want at 30 or 35 or 40 50 i don't know um so there's that but i guess all relationship want, needs work uh, require work and require some some compromise i'm sorry to speak in cliche and the mm. and the um the, the question is how far are you willing to, to, to compromise to make it work and to create a sanctuary for your children and to create a you know, positive um, template for relationship for your children. Because remember what our children see, how we interact with our partner, with our, you know, um, uh, the people that we live with, uh, the people that we might be married to that is also going to influence how our children are going to do relationship right because those are the models that we give our children and so it's also important that we bear we bear that in mind of course white supremacy gets into the gets into the picture into the mix because we also internalize messages around you know black women and and uh, you know black men and 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 the the the, the kind of um not only the stereotypes, the strobe, the tropes, the, the the script that tells us that we're not good enough parents, right? That what happened to society and social and all social inequality is just down to poor parenting, and so we can also harbor really unkind or unrealistic expectation of our partners um, that might not be um, that might not be helpful in our relationships too. 
Totally. And it, again, it takes a certain, a certain sense of yourself to even recognize that, which is really, really difficult and um, difficult to, to recognize whilst you're in it with all your different hacks on juggling work you know, kids and everything. It's just, um, it's a lot. But I think, I think your book really helps to think of some practical tools, just some, some talking books, some things to even start thinking about. If, you, if you've never even sat down and started thinking about some of these topics, these ideas, even question them for yourself and, and the sort of lifestyle you want for yourself and your children. That's what the book really gave to me, which is why I also had to take breaks with it just to sit down and just think, what is this saying? How do I feel? What do I think about it? What changes can I make now from having thought about these questions, listening to these tools and understanding these steps basically. Um, so I, I got back from the book and found that massively useful. And I just think also the book helped me to, um, well, it felt like it gifted me the opportunity to not doubt your own pain and your own experiences, which I also found quite liberating itself because often you're there trying to um, stand up for yourself and, and asking people to believe you. And um, ultimately, you know, that, that leads to you doubting yourself. And again, doubting your own gut, doubting your voice, doubting your connection, um, which again is modeled back to your children and it just carries on and on and on. And they see that, they bring that into their future relationships. So I think that was liber liberating in itself, these self-care tools that can just help improve everything on a, on a day-to-day, -day, for your day-to-day -day wellness, which, which was really, really awesome for me. Um, and just to help the stop, so stop questioning yourself, um, take some action, set your own boundaries again, which will help the day-to-day -day environment for you and your children. Saying all of that, I mean, there are still these negative messages that we are dealing with daily. There's the constant debates, there's the, um, there's the doubt, there's, there's the racial slurs, there's the violence, there's everything that we're seeing. Anything that you can say to any mums listening that are finding it difficult to see the joy and beauty in their future, to see it for themselves, for their children, for our community, how can we try and hold, hold on to those moments? I would say it's difficult. Um, I would say that part of what um, oppression does is it robs us of the uh, ability to connect with joy and to connect with beauty and to connect with pleasure. Now, if we know that, um, therefore, we can decide that our resistance must be to deliberately connect to joy and to pleasure and to beauty, right? Uh, I like to say that it is a habit, that it is a practice. We just have to do it right, before it becomes part of our repertoire. It's not something that comes naturally to a lot of us, it's not something that comes naturally to me. I had to learn to do it. I had to learn to do it, to pay, to be grateful, to remember that actually beauty is everywhere. It's everywhere if we pay attention to it. And it's not the case of seeing the, the glass as half full or half empty, which is an expression I absolutely 
despise. It's actually noticing that whatever is going on with the class, there's still beauty around it, right? There's still beauty in the capacity to see, in the, in the capacity to actually just uh, be mindful of our surrounding. Um, and so I invite the reader to formulate some gratitude habit um, and to note the moment that are, um, that are beautiful, that remind us that um, in the midst of all this white supremacy, there still are um, beauty, there is still um, marvel in, in the world. And a bit like children, right? We socialize children out of their capacity to marvel um, at the world. And so we need to reconnect with that as well not only because it's good for us fundamentally in terms of our mental health and in terms of our well-being, but it's because, again, we are entitled to, you know, feed our soul and to connect to what makes us human being. And having a sense of wonder is what makes us human as well. Absolutely. And like you said, it's not, it's not easy. You really have to work at it. But I think that's the trick, isn't it? trying to constantly work at it and know that it is not easy. It's not easy for anybody, everyone's struggling, but it is a practice. It is something that you want to try and do daily and it will eventually seek in and become habit, but it is something you want to prioritize, dedicate for yourself, which will bleed out for your children, you know? And I think if we are serious about it, it's what I'm getting is it's taking action and really prioritizing that like we are going to make an effort to curate the environment in our household we know how vital that is to feed and build up our children just as we need to take that moment and again I say this intellectually emotionally very difficult to do all these things for yourself as well it's it's easier to put it out there and do it for your children but to take that moment as well and take that time if it's to spend that money or just prioritize yourself um, yeah. Again, traditionally, that may be difficult for women, difficult for mums, um, but it is vital in curating the type of environments that you are talking to and the book talks to, to try and protect ourselves and build that, um, that, that intrinsic self-worth, you know, so it can be wired into your blood that that's that's what we need to do and it and it is that serious it is coming down to essentially life and death you know this this is this is the the stakes that we're talking about for for our future and our children's future thank you so much for today so much for sharing thank you for writing this book and and the years that went into compiling everything that's in this book what is next for you Oh God, what is next? There's lots of work to do with the book. I'm hoping that we will be at some point able to um, design some courses around the book content. But what really matters at this point in time is how the message seeped in the community, right? And it's a message of love in terms of how we need to love one another. It's really something that we need to take really seriously, how we need to love and show ourselves radical, unconditional love. And part of this love is doing this work. That's it. 
radical unconditional love that that is it that I'm going to stick that on my bathroom actually that's the sort of thing you need to see every single day thank you thank you so much dope black moms If you'd like to join the Dope Black Mums private Facebook group, please search Dope Black Mums on Facebook. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Please follow on all socials at Dope Black Mums. Thanks so much for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.